Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this time to gather together. We ask you to open your word. Help us all to explore it, study it, see it, live it, and draw closer to you. We're the we pray. Amen. All right. So we are looking at chapter one of Revealing Revelation. It's chapters one and two. But we have made it to chapter two of Revelation. Looking at chapter two. Chapters 2 and 3 involve the seven churches. Now, chapter 2 is probably the most avoided chapter of the entire Bible in the church today. And why is it? Yeah. And if we get through it, it will become very obvious because Jesus will say things to the churches that will convict the churches then and today. The first church we'll look at is going to be Ephesus. The second one is Smyrna. The third one will be Pergamos. Those are all in chapter 2. And the last one in chapter 2 is Thyatira. Then it will kick over to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Keep in mind, it says these are the letters to this church. But in that day, they would all be with one courier and would do the circuit. And they would all get to read all of the letters. So all their business is out there. It's not like one letter is delivered like today. You get your mail and you get your mail. Nope. Everybody gets everybody's mail while it comes to those letters. <clears throat> so, we're going to look at chapter 2 here. Chapter 1, remember, these are the things which you have seen. Well, he said you're going to see the things which have been. That was chapter 1. Chapters 2 and 3 are the things that are still to us. We are in that context, the present. And chapters 4 through 22 will cover things that shall be. Those will be future things. Also, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus will say seven times, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Each letter, Jesus will say the following things. I know your works, meaning what you're doing. To him who overcomes, which means if you can get past whatever each specific trial is, and he will give encouragement to the church. Then he will address where the church is at at that time either good or bad. And that is generally why we do not read this in today's church. Questions on that? We're going to do one quick review of chapter one. It's a situation or a scripture that will show us a little bit of what chapter two is speaking about. So to clear things up. If you remember chapter one of Revelation, verse 20 says, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Remember we found out that the word is messengers. Yes. It's not anglios. And thus, it's, it's messengers. It's not anglios. Which would be angel. It's actually talking about the pastors. The pastors. Yep. And the seven, or I'm sorry. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So. If we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, where he's creating things, we see that the stars are for signs, seasons, days, and years. So that's where our pastors are thinking, telling us about the signs, the seasons, the times and the days. They should be keeping us abreast of what's going on, not just making us happy. Yes. Seven is the biblical number of perfection. Lord. Triple seven is three sevens. That means complete perfection. It's the number of God. 
whereas 666 is the number of man because we fall just short of God. The lampstands are the churches. Remember when Jesus said, you did not light a candle and put it on a hill and then hide it? We are the light to the world, and we should be acting as such. He is telling us how he sets us, his church, on high for everybody to look at so that we can bring light to the world and expose what Satan is hiding. And Jesus is walking among us. That's what he's telling us. So we're going to get started. That's the intro. Any questions, comments, concerns about the intro? We're going to go Revelation chapter 1, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored, labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first words, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. That's what he writes to the first church. That's Jesus. That is Jesus. Any thoughts? What about the Nicolaitans? So... We're going to break down what that actually means here in a little bit, but essentially it's a group of people. And when, what does he mean by he's going to like, come and take your back? So, so Revelation 1.20, he moves amongst the lampstands and the lampstands are the churches. We are to be held up high to shine the light. If we are not giving up light, if we are not being light to the world, then why would you continue to have your lampstand up? They'll pull it out. I don't need you. I will replace you with somebody who will do my work. Ask, ask yourself when Jesus ever compromised. Like it's it's really nice to say we need to compromise. Jesus never once compromised. And for us to think he will compromise with us is, is a little bit on the far side of heresy. Because he is not going to change. So does anybody research the city of Ephesus before today? All right. So let's take a few things about the city. So the name Ephesus means beautiful, desirable, or lovely one. It is a obviously very beautiful area. They're a very wealthy and powerful city at the time of this writing. They are so wealthy that there is nearly on every corner a bank. Think of New York City type pre-19 or 2019. Okay, like this is the hub. This is the place. They boasted of their diversity and their open religions as a city. And they had many temples and amphitheaters. The most famous one was the Temple of Diana. 
It measured 425 feet long, 226 or 260 feet wide, and 100 feet high, and could hold thousands of people. This is a big structure in those days. In modern-day Turkey, that's where you'll find it. In fact, all of the churches are in modern-day Turkey. Really? Yes. There are more than seven churches at this time. He writes them to seven specific churches because they represent the church as a whole throughout the time. So they big ones, or they the more prominent churches, and that's why he says that. He just picked, as far as I know. They're a circle. They actually make a circle in the order they are in. So we're actually starting mm -hmm. down here. And we will run in a circular pattern northwest to far north and then back south, southeast to the west. So let's look at the church itself, the church of Ephesus. Revelation 2.1 talks about Jesus speaks to them about the church. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hands when he's talking to them. The word hold means to have a tight grip upon. And actually what he's saying is, I am going to control you. I am going to use you. Hence, if you don't listen, I will remove you because you're not doing what I, what I am using you for. And I have authority over you. But it also means I will not leave you. Hence, I walk among you. So no matter what, he's not leaving. They are a very busy church meaning they're not just busy work, but they're outgoing works. They're very active, they're very large, and they're very influential in the community. And they did not lack vision. They, they decided they were going to do things, and they did. So what did they do right? I know your works. They had works. They were doing things, not just inside the church, but out. Taking a look at works, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we're like, well, they had works. So what's the point of works? Well, that's talking about becoming saved. But once we are saved, we have to go to James 2, 18. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by and so that is how we show the world who Jesus is, by how we act, our works. He says, I know your labor. This is saying that they worked to the point of exhaustion. Not just in the church building, because remember they're generally home churches, but in the entire community and for each other. It wasn't a selfish act. It wasn't, hey, you're spending too much time doing this. They worked to exhaustion. I know your patience. Having a glad heart, happy face, even in times that are not easy. Good attitudes, no fit throwers in your church. You've tested those who are apostles and are not. This is where it starts to get a little bit, oh, now I see why people don't like to read this. Tested. They knew their Bible, and when somebody said something, they looked it up to make sure it was right. And if it wasn't, they publicly confronted them. They knew their doctrine, and they protected their church from bad doctrine. You found them to be liars. Again, they didn't, hey, pull them aside and say, hey, right in front of everybody. They just called them out. 
So people didn't really want to go against them because they, if you were if you were making up something, they were going to call you on it in front of you, your friends, your family, and God Himself. Again, these are good things. If He's saying, "Good job," persevere. Once they start something, they don't quit. They don't stop fighting. People say stuff, they come right back at it. They didn't shirk. They didn't slink. They didn't play nice. Your patience, which actually is better in translated endurance. Once they started a work, they didn't quit, even if people were attacking them over. Uh, they were not part of the problem, but they were part of the solution. And you labored for my name's sake and were not worried. Weary. Our word labored is different than when we break this down. In the Greek, it would be more like clawed. Uh, to mean, hey, I'm stuck in mud, but as long as I'm moving an inch in a minute forward, I'm still moving forward, and I'm not going to stop. Okay? And weary means they did not lose sight of the things they did for Jesus and his glory. It wasn't about So, I ask you, if you could find a church like that. Reminds me of the eighties and nineties, where the churches, you have somebody that was popular, one person that was destitute or needed help, they, they would go to the church, and the church would would reach out and help them. It slowly starting to go, and now it's the churches are bigger, bigger, and bigger, but they're saying, "Come to us. You need to get here, and then maybe we'll." Give you a, like a latte or a macchiato in our campaign. Back in the day, it was the community or the church that would be outbeaten. So we took up the church in the 80s actually switched doctrines. Most people didn't notice. That's when we stopped talking about prophecy and things that were confrontational, and we decided we're going to be invited. But that inviting meant we became more like that. Not they like us. And we became more destination places. So, hey, come to our building, and then we will serve you. Not, hey, we will come to serve you where you are, and then if you want to come to the building, no problem. And we still have that mentality today. See, like the mega churches, when it's like about four or five thousand people, it's great, but aren't you supposed to be building the word? That's supposed to be going out and spreading for it, not. Well, if I don't have a car, how do I get to your big mega trip? Well, I'm sorry, I gotta look. I'll be right, right, sorry. Maybe it'll get you there on time, you know. Instead of being in all the corners of the earth, and you didn't all the corners of the earth, you need to preach the word and say, that'd be good. Okay. 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 And Jesus uses the words, what could be interpreted, but, however, nevertheless. So if I were to tell you all these nice things about you and then go, but, or, however, or nevertheless, does anything I say before that, it all just goes out the window. Right? It's like he's inviting you in to live, so like, all right, time to, like, oh, I'll get real haughty on this. However, what's your right? But remember, a proper corrective cycle. Something positive, so that you are engaged. What to correct, ended with something positive, so that you don't end on a negative, and then they can fix it. <clears throat> All right. However, 
It says in 2.4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, the interesting thing is, have this isn't actually in the Greek. We put it in there so that it reads better. You can see this is italics, meaning it's not even in the language, and have is not the word that would be translated. It's actually a conjunction. So this is actually how it would read. Nevertheless, I against you, that you have left your first love. Sounds a little bit more confrontational. It's like, now we are opposed. Thought we were doing good here. You know, four verses of thank you. But now I just got smacked in the face. So left. Left in there means to send away, to forsake, to lay aside, even in unintentional, to omit, to pass by, or to go without packing them. So he's telling them, you went places in your works, but you forgot to take me. Left does not equal lost. Keep that in mind, because some will say, this church wasn't saved. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking to individuals. They're moving without. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Moving without. Are they just moved without? So, I ask, when, when have you forgotten about or not packed Jesus? Speak up so they can hear you. Fortunately, sometimes it's in fear. It's something that you were praying for and get that finished. And then you were so excited about it. You know, yeah, you're not even like, oh, I, I, I was praying for this. Yeah. Months going, ago. going to thank Jesus yeah. for it. You're like, I got it. Yay. And then, yeah. Yep. And, and then now you go to the next thing. We say the next thing is you're like hoping and praying and wishing cool. Or times like that. Or I've always been the, the honest one about like when I try to control too much in my own destiny in my life. So, like, I'll be like, oh, I need money. So instead of praying, that the Lord either blesses me maybe with the ability to save my money better or budget my money or maybe tithe more. I'm just like, I gotta, I gotta, why well, do no work? And so I'm gonna, so I, and, and, you know, and, and I can even convolute it to my, myself where it's like, oh, the Lord is allowing me to be able to have the energy to work these extra jobs. And, oh, there's extra jobs out there. He's blessing me with these extra jobs. But in all actuality, that's just my own self trying to control my own life instead of just being like, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. Okay. Um, I'm just gonna give it to you. Yeah, I, I I walk away a lot sometimes because I think that I can do it better sometimes. Okay. Uh, so I like to learn. No. Hey. No, I think they they said it. Okay. Yeah. Adam. Zoom tight. I mean, I, I again, I I think when the good times roll, we roll solo. Say when the good times roll, we roll with the soul? We roll solo. Oh, oh. Meaning we leave Jesus at home. We don't pack him. Now, on a different level. That's when, in a whole, we do things, okay? But when have you not thought about Jesus while doing something? All the time. Most times for me. Being complacent is not a you know, it's called 
caught up in your whatever's going on in front of you, but you're not thinking about the whole big picture. I, I liken it to several situations on SWAT where things are going sideways and you start praying. Things are going according to plan and you're just like, oh, I said my prayer beforehand and we're just rolling through this thing. But when things start kicking up, all of a sudden, you have to go back to those promises of, I will protect you. All right. First Samuel 16, 7. What the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, speaking of David, because I have, or speaking about the selection of David, I have refused him. This is David's eldest brother. For the Lord does not see a man as, or does not see as man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is talking about a specific person. David's eldest brother, when he's being selected as king, and Samuel's going, obviously this must be the guy. Jesus is showing us. Jesus is showing us, I literally look at the churches like this. You're looking at the outside. They have works, they have music, they have some church. He's like, I'm looking at doctrine, I'm looking at theology, I'm looking at reason. It's a loss. All those three people over there who have the old rickety building and can hardly keep it up, that's my people. Because David is five foot one, maybe five foot two, fair skin, freckles everywhere, redhead. Not exactly, not exactly the warrior type. But look at, you know, uh, Samson. Samson kills 300 people with a donkey's jawbone, right? Every time they depict him, he's Arnold Schwarzenegger or... No. Jewish tradition is actually that he looked very scrawny. You're not going to be able to take credit for it. Right. This is me. Yeah. No possible way to just so. Jesus. All right. You remind me of Samson. The real Samson. Revelation 4, 2, 4 through 5. But I have this. This is the amplified version. So if you've never used the amplified version of the Bible, it will say something and then it'll be like, and this is what it means as you're reading it. So I have this, parentheses, lone charge to make against you that you have left, i.e., abandoned. The love that you had at first. You have deserted me, your first love. Okay? So the word repent. Good question. Is that so? Is that like, like, kind of referencing like when you're a baby Christian and first find the Lord? Um, no, this is this church. These are the, those people with all those works. Verse 5 Remember from when, from what heights you have fallen. Repent means change the inner man to meet God's will. We talked about repent, repentance. The word repent is actually a nautical sailing term from ancient times. You can't sail directly into the wind, and if the wind is blowing away from your intended direction, you have to take an angle against the wind, and then you can cut hard 180 degrees into it so you can keep moving forward. If the captain wanted to turn the ship, not 90 degrees, not 45 degrees, not 150, not 179 degrees. If he wanted the ship to turn 180 degrees, 
he would yell an order repent. And that's what it means. To turn 180 degrees from the way you are going in the opposite direction. And this is a sailing sailing society. So he says, repent and do the works that you did previously, i.e. when you first knew the Lord. Or else I will visit you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you change your mind and repent. First, first works, the word in Greek is protos. It's where we get our word prototype. Uh, it implies we have slipped from the one whom gave, we first gave ourselves to, to something else. The, tra the transition from faith to religiosity, something like that. Works because we feel like we should do it, not because Jesus is asking us. The why of the thing, if you will. If anybody's ever seen Interstellar, the why of the thing. That is a heck of a line. It's a biblical movie. Most people don't, because it's all based on science. But if you go through that movie, or you break it down, maybe we'll do it sometime. You can see the Bible all throughout it, because it's all science, and God is science. And science is proving his existence. They just don't know. Hence, Romans 1. They took on their, their own wisdom and forsook the ones. So the, the ending... What is that? The, the, ending, the ending. When he falls into all the, the time? The dimensions or whatever. Does God exist in all time? That's kind of how God sees our life. He can move at any point. It's very scientifically Okay. So there's that. So. Any thoughts on the church of Ephesus? We've made it through one church. So it sounds like the thing that's crazy is that describe the actual church in the city itself. It's like you would think that they would have every reason to prosper and be able to do everything that they would ever want. You know, there was no lack of resources, but just like you said, it's like you get to some of these big places that have everything. But the theology or the doctrine isn't there. And then you can go to a poor rickety town or a poor rickety church. And it's like, well, they might not have the building like these guys do, but what the what's coming out of it is what's the most important thing, and that's what I want. Yeah. So I think that they have everything that they need, but that there's they're still lacking. And we need to evaluate not only ourselves but our church when we are reading these letters. Because If I take off on a tangent, it's spirit so leads me. It has convicted me to a level I have not been since I decided to say I was wrong, you were right. Even with the way I'm the way I'm thinking. Because we all think we're doing what we're supposed to. And then he goes, Yeah, but you're you're just trying to be good. You're not trying to be holy. That's a whole different standard, and you really don't want to open that can. Because once we do, we have to reevaluate everything we do, think, and see, and hear. And that's a heck of a lifestyle change. He's been hitting me with that in the last couple of weeks.
And that's something that's misinterpreted a lot. So, well, I don't have faith. Like, oh, that's awesome. And you're like, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. So, well, that has nothing to do with your faith. Like, mm-hmm. Because they're people, I guess. Yeah, because it's not the person. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather be known as a godly. No, he's funny. No, he was godly. All right, let's look at the church in Smyrna. Smyrna. All right, Revelations. Not Revelations. It's only one Revelation. Revelation. 2, verses 8 through 11 here. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second one. Anybody study the city of Smyrna? Let's look at the first First death is when you die. When you physically die. When you physically die. If you if you don't make it to the rapture, so that's the first. Saved. If you are not saved, you are cut off from God for eternity. That is the second death. A lot of Christians died for their faith in the city of Smyrna. This this is not an easy place to be a Christian. It is thirty five miles north of Ephesus. Again, we are starting in that circle. Today, it is called Isma, and its population in 2019 was 4.367 million years. It was over 1,000 years old at the time of this, and it had been leveled several times through war. In fact, Alexander the Great's general Lysimachus rebuilt it, and the people said that they had died and come back to life as a city. It is the most beautiful city in the Roman Empire. It is called the crown of life due to all the temples of the gods of gods on Mount Pegasus. And it is the birthplace of Homer, the guy who wrote the Iliad, not Simpson. <laughs> the root name is myrrh, which symbolizes suffering. And it is the birthplace of Caesar worship. This is where Caesar is Lord was coined. And if you didn't say it, you were drawn and quartered. Does anybody not know what drawn and quartered is? That's where you would, they would lay you down, strap you to what we would consider plywood, something that size, followed by four horses being tied, one to each arm and each leg. And at a given point, either one at a time or all together, they would send the horses running until they yanked your limbs apart from your body. And strong and quartered. Sometimes they would do it slowly. That's the city of Smart. What kind of church is it because suffered so much persecution? Yeah. Let's look at the church of Smyrna. 
This is where we're going to break down the actual church. Everything Jesus will tell them is about suffering. I am the first and the last, he says, because the city motto was, our city is first and last among the Roman Empire. Caesar worship began here. We are Smyrna. We will last forever. And Jesus is going, no, I am the first and I am the last. He who was dead and came back to life. A lot of people died there. He's like, yeah, I died too. But I came. I came back. And that's the promise you have. So John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. That's for suffering. That's not for when the good times are gone. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you have peace. And he actually says, you may have peace. That may is everybody has the option to be saved. And you may choose to be saved. If you don't, you have no peace. You choose me and you will have peace. Hence, you may be saved. You may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So, oh, one more thing. He was dead. Notice the past tense. Was dead. He is telling them they will die for their faith. Not the most comforting thing. By the way, you're going to die. That's kind of like, hey, you climbed way up there, but whatever you do, don't look down. Don't move. Everything's okay. Just don't move, right? Something has gone wrong here. Now this, your Savior is going, you're going to die. But I do everything, and I will overcome it. So, 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 and 11 says, And by unlimited seduction to evil, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, i.e. going to perdition, i.e. those who are not saved, is who he's talking about, because they did not welcome the truth, but refused to love it, that they might be saved. There's that might be. Therefore God sends upon them a misleading influence, a working of error, and a strong delusion to make them believe what is false. This is after the rapture. If they knew the gospel before, they screwed after. Mm. Look at this. This is a promise only to the Christian. Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days. In other words, perpetually, uniformly. I am never with you more. I am never with you less. Even when you feel abandoned, I am there just as much as when you felt me walking beside you. And on every occasion, when you're sinning, when you're doing that thing behind closed doors, I'm right there. When you're doing that thing for me, I'm right there. To the very close, not just before, I didn't abandon you at any point, I'm there. And the consummation of the age. Spoken of in Daniel 10, amen. So let it be. There is nothing you can do. If you are suffering, this is a promise you're going to run. No matter what you're going through, no matter how bad your circumstances seem, no matter how much you're getting crushed, God has not left you. Questions, thoughts? These are said and done. This is how we develop faith. 
Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to you. Essentially what that saying is to the Christian, if you were removed from this place and put into the actual physical place of hell, God's presence would be felt by you and it would be heaven. Likewise, if you were not saved and he took you and put you in the physical place of heaven, his spirit would be removed from you and it would be like hell. Thus, anywhere you go, he is with you. You are set. And anywhere you go and you leave him, you he sees nothing different. Those who are in the lake of fire in eternal darkness, he will see. And he is with them. But they can't perceive it. He hides himself from them because that's what they want. Yeah. Thoughts? So if they were to accept that, then choose. Before death, yes. Nope. It is appointed to man a day to die and then unto judgment. That is the purpose of this life to find and accept Jesus' as sacrifice. To lead others to him, which is why as soon as we get saved, we don't disappear. Because then how would we lead others? It's kind of a, but the, the analogy that he used, or the, the situation, it's like, could you, everybody's like, oh, I want to go to heaven. But imagine heaven without Christ. You know, we have things that I never even would have thought like, Oh, I I go to heaven, but if you don't have Christ, it's going to feel like, or gosh, for some reason I'm in hell. I don't know why, but I got Christ, so I'm good. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. If that's not, if that's, and the only thing that changes that is the Lord in your heart. It's your relationship with God. So it's like, yeah, you can have whatever you want, but it's going to be nothing without this. That is kind of the defining factor. Let's take a pen and play. John 6, 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Why do we think I put this in here with the Church of Smyrna? Because it might seem a little like, and he's just throwing random Bible verses in here. Bible roulette. Boom. I'm the living bread. I'll give you a hint. Didn't you say the city was wasn't it healthy? No, nope, that was the last one. This is the second. If anyone eats this bread with a lips level. So even though you may die, <laughs> and he allows you. Remember, the Bible says, and we are led as sheep to the slaughter all the day. And precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. And you're like, that eh, doesn't really make sense. Because we are so focused on this life. 
that we never remove our mindset that this life doesn't matter. And that's what he's been hammering home to me. This life doesn't matter. If you are not happy, does that matter? No. Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus slept by the guy's gate and dogs licked his sores, and yet he went to heaven for eternity. Rich man had everything during life and shall suffer for eternity. We get so tied up in what we feel and how we experience this life that we become inept. Many will say, oh, you got your head in the clouds, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. But the church has actually become so worldly minded that we've become no heavenly. We need to separate ourselves and understand that the churches that are going through prosperity are the ones that fall away from Jesus. The churches that are going through persecution are the ones that are closest to Jesus. Let's see that in more detail. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's when you know you've got that mindset. To be absent from the body is death, the first death. For we know that if your eyes close here, they will immediately open in heaven. Just as a baby fell asleep on the floor and you moved them to their bed, they woke up in their bed, so the Lord will carry you to heaven. And as soon as they close here, whether it's through a sudden car accident, the plane nosedives into the ground, you have a heart attack, or you suffer for weeks, days, months, years, you will close your eyes, and where you open them next will be perfection. All right, John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, obviously Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That is a speaking to, he is coming back to get his church. The church will not suffer the tribulation. Because if you suffer the tribulation and then you get taken, it's a U-turn. You never make it to heaven. Why would he build you mansions in heaven for you to never even get them? Where is he? He's in heaven. So where is he coming from and taking us to? Heaven. What heaven is he in? The intermediate heaven. Remember, in the new heaven and the new earth, heaven is on earth. So you have to break all this down to start seeing. Yeah, this Man, I thought there was just the one heaven in the sky. <laughs> well, technically, even now, there are three heavens. When you fly in the sky, you are in the first heaven. When you go into space, you are in the second heaven. And when you go and you see the throne room of God, you have entered the third heaven, the bottom place of God where no man can eat. What kind of Death. That's how you skip it. Or rapture. Rapture or rupture, they will both get you there. Rapture or rupture. Jack Hibbs used that all the time. It's a good line. I like it. How about Philippians 3.8? Yet indeed I also count all things loss 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. How many people have decided that everything you have is worthless? There's nothing worth going out and getting if it does not draw you or teach you about Christ. Um, That's a heck of a mindset. Yeah, because, you know, that... He, this is the same guy who wrote, I have found my a way to be content in all situations. Hungry? Content. Well-fed? Content. Poor? Content. Rich? Content. Everything, because it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. Well, think about the pleasures that we have and like what we enjoy as humans in this world, like cruises or vacation. So, or... When we talked about all those things, why is it that we then forget to pack Jesus? Because of our mindset. Our mindset is Jesus is my emergency. He's not the air I breathe. He's the emergency lever I pull when I do. Not if we thank him for it. Well, knowledge of that. And his non-valuable things. But we count them valuable things. And acknowledge that, that it's not. Here, here's, the so mind, here's the mindset he is giving me, okay? Without standing on a soapbox and being late for work. Okay. Um, when we go places, if you get a flat tire, we throw a fit because it's about us. Jack Hibbs, when I watch him, he goes, When I get a flat tire, I praise God because I have a captive audience of a tow driver for 20 minutes. He's going to have to change my tire. He can't move. You go on vacation. He is not sending you on vacation to relax. He's sending you into a new mission field to meet somebody at some point to tell them about him because they will not listen to anybody else that is it. When do we book vacation? We go, I'm going to go find somebody to tell Jesus. No, I'm going to go find shark teeth. I'm going to go scuba diving. I'm going to go eat at these restaurants. They're going, it's all about us. It's I'm over here lying. Sparta. The I the idea of Sparta. The men were warriors. The women made more warriors, right? We're not that far. Okay. I'm not saying we're that far. But are we not to go save people? Men and women. And are we not bringing in new people to take our place when we die? So then if that's the point, if that's the actual point of what we are doing, and should we not train our children in the ways they should go, that they will not depart the Lord when they grow up? Should that not be our focus of raising our children? Not just getting them to college or to high school or a good job. No. I'm, I'm, and like I said, this has been the last two weeks. He has been changing my entire outlook. Nothing about our lives is what we thought. We have left our first love. We just didn't know it. And now we enter suffering and we're like, come on, man, what's the way? I'm doing good. And he's like, eh. But you're really not. You think you are because you are evaluating yourself compared to everybody else around you. And yes, you are in the worst point of the world right before I have to come back and absolutely unleash what is known as hell on earth for seven years. That's 
the people you're confining yourself to, you're probably not going to do bad. That's not the comparison. I'm the comparison. Every thought captive. I've never been a woman. I will never identify as a woman. I do not know how you guys think. Trust me, ask my wife. I, I, I have no idea how you guys think. You guys are so darn complex. But I don't know if God decided, like, hey, I need to, like, see how complex I can make this thing. Because ours is really simple. Okay? But we have been led astray. Because the entire thing of, of purity is... Oh, you can look, but you can't touch. And then Jesus comes along and goes, as soon as you look, you lust. And when you lust, you've already done it. And he literally says, remove every hint of sexual immorality from your life. Every hint. Every vulgar joke. Every, as I told Zachary the other day, and he thought I was talking about something in the window. And he's looking out the window. I was like, no, it's not the window. It's window. Yes, thank you. But he thought I was saying in the window. <laughs> so that's that's but he says that should not be spoken amongst them. If you look, you have to train your eyes to balance. So you stop looking. See, we've been fed the lies that you can't help it, you're a guy. Don't act on it, you'll be just fine. That's because we don't want to do the hard work. To honor the person you have decided or will decide to spend your life with means you can't look. And we have to find a way to train our eyes. It's a habit that we have developed through adolescence because we were trying to figure out what we were selecting. But once we've made that selection, like, they don't get it. Okay? If they understood everything that went in our minds, every guy's a perfect. They don't understand. But at the same point, we have to take responsibility for it. Because what goes on in your house, what my boys didn't quite understand, I had to explain to them, is, well, I didn't do it. I didn't know. I thought it was done. I explained to them, God does not care what happens in this house, whether I knew it or not. I'm responsible for it. If she goes and does something stupid, I'm on the lot. He's not going to hold her accountable. He's going to hold me accountable. Don't be if the kids, If the kids go and do something stupid, He's not holding the kid responsible. They're still under your roof. And until the day they choose a, a spouse, they are subjected to you, even when they leave for college, even when they move out. Until the day they are married, they're under the rule of their parents to honor. We don't like that. So at what point are we going to decide we want to be holy and not good? Because you're going to have to change a whole lot of things in your life. And we're going to have to hold each other accountable. That is what he's talking about at the first church. They're not holding each other accountable. They just think they're doing good. I should be able, if somebody sees me in public, say or do something because I have resorted to my worldly mind, they should be like, hey, lock it in. Then be hint to me, oh, well, we're throwing private. That wasn't right. And completely confront you. Care not about your feelings, but actually love you. See, we tell lies. We'll tell our wife. She puts something on. She's like, do I look good in this? Goes, yep. Am I, am I starting? Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. You know, hey, do you want, hey, I, I'm thinking about going to this job. What do you think? Oh, yeah, go for it. See, when you're thinking not. Anything. Do you think this is a good idea? We, we need to stop being nice. 
Because nice has gotten us to this point where we're able to do anything and everything to anyone and then rationalize our own actions because no one is holding us accountable. That's not the point of the church. Literally, we are not to judge others. That is unbelievers. We're not to judge them. They can do whatever they want. It should not shock you. What should shock you is when they do the good things, because why would they? It should all be about them. If there's no other standard, why does it shock you that they do things for themselves? It should not. But us, us, you, me, no. It should be a strict standard. And when we first start this, it's going to seem radical. But radical means root. So when we say radical Islam, they are really just at the root of what the religion should be. We should be radical Christians. Unwavering. And then we can't go into the community and not say something. We cannot do things or acquiesce to things and just go, eh, to each their own. Not if you're Christians. No, 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 no. That's the standard Jesus is setting before us. And we read our Bibles and we look at people in the times and we're like, oh, if you're reading the Old Testament, you're like, I didn't. I'd never do that. And then you find yourself three times worse. We're, we're not changing for you. We're not trying. I'm not trying to change. But if you're holding somebody accountable for something that they are doing, mm -hmm. you're kind of going against their free will. What is their will? The question is, do they want to be holy? Have they asked you, hold me accountable so that I become as holy as possible? Or are they saying, I'd like to be a heathen. Let me go. They want to be a heathen. Then it's they did, do have a choice. But here's the scary here is the scariest part of this conversation. Jesus says, wide and broad is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to heaven. The Exodus, 600,000 men walked out. 1.3 million people by estimate. Of all 1.3 million people, Caleb and Joshua were the only two that made it to the promised heaven. When he comes in the rapture, he's going to take the people who are trying to live their life according to his standard. How many people who think they're going are going to be shot? When you see these things happening, we spent two months going over things in the world that should shock us that they're happening. The most prophetic times the world has ever seen besides when Jesus walked the earth. And he says, lock it in. Now is the time. He's literally writing to the churches. The next thing we will see after chapter 3 is the rapture of the church, and there's no more time to get it right. So he is telling these churches, you're the last line. You don't lock it in, I'm leaving you behind. And you're screwed for all of eternity. So do you want to be holy? Do you want to be mine? Or do you want to be lost and be heathens and be happy? Because you'll seem happy when you do what you want. You won't realize happiness for a while, moving towards holiness. Because Jesus loves you more than you will ever love yourself. Jesus wants more for you than you will ever want for yourself. And to understand that, why can't we trust him and do what he wants? No, but we, we become idolatrous, become our own gods, make our own decisions through our free will, and thus we sin. And through our free will and his acquiescing to that, he says, okay, I'm keeping you from these punishments, but you want to walk into a bed of nails? Walk into the bed of nails, but don't scream at me when you get punched. I'll be there to bandage you out, but do not scream at me. Don't yell at me. Do not blame me. I'm telling you what to do, and you will not listen. Or you're refusing to read my word the way I wrote it, which is convicting to your soul, and live the way you're supposed to, because you think you're good enough. Hence, Paul says, 
Should we then sin for the account of grace, that grace should abound all the more? No. And I think that's what we've been doing. I have in several ways in my life. We need to lock it in and move forward. And if you're going to make that statement, and you're going to draw that covenant, then you need people to hold you accountable. We can hold each other accountable to a certain level, but I'm telling you right now, if you're going to have a covenant partner that will hold you to, to even to your thoughts, it will not be somebody of the opposite sex. It will not be your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. No. You can't. It will not work. They do not understand you, and there's a dynamic there that will allow the devil to twist it and cause you to fall. So do not even think it. Do not say, I think he's really good at that. He'd, he'd be good. Honey, just go ahead. No, don't do it. Does not work. Is not a good idea. Will not work. If they say okay, they have no idea what they're doing or they have alternative mode. They can give wisdom. They can give talks, but they cannot be that accountability person for that person. Pick somebody of the same sex. And they have to be a solid believer. And they have to be on board with living their lives in a godly way, and not just somebody who wants to say, I'm a Christian, I got a bumper sticker, a t-shirt, I read the Bible, and I'm better than the rest of the people by the standard, so I'm doing good. But are we saved by works? So then what what standard are you keeping? The lie the church tells us is, we're good enough, give us money. We're good enough, show up. When in fact they should be going, we're all kind of screwed here, dude. None of us is doing what we're supposed to. And we are living in times where Jesus is saying, lock it on, tighten it up, and move forward. And guess what will happen? The church will stop being impotent. It will start causing waves. And no one will be able to stand against you because you are walking in the will of God. But God withdraws from nations because we, who claim his name, don't do things. Not the unbeliever. The believers can do all they want. The LGBTQ, the, the Soros movements, the Antifa, all those people. That. God is not leaving this country because of them. He is leaving because of us. Hence, second um, We're the lampstand and that. Uh, going a blank. Second 242. Uh, Old Testament. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. Or turn from their wicked ways, seek my face and pray. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. So when we go, the, the president's this and, you know, these people are leading this nation down a wormhole. It's not their fault. It's ours. We are leading nations down a hole because we are not doing what he told us to do. He gave us the way. He gave us the truth. And he gave us his word. And we're wondering why he's not keeping. He's not keeping it because we aren't keeping it. And this is why the church does not teach on Revelation chapter 2. I see some people leave the church. If this... If this is if, if this is if this is the, somebody's first day, they probably go. You know what? I enjoyed food. Yeah, it was never very nice. Cappuccino. I'll uh, I'll think about coming back next month, and then you will never see them. But think about it. where in your life, because I I've 
been convicted in several places. Where in your life are you wavering from this? Where in your life are you allowing yourself to just be okay? God doesn't want okay. Jesus is not okay with okay. Jesus is with us okay with being okay because you're trying to be perfect and he knows you're going to mess up. That's when he's okay. But read the Old Testament and nowhere will you find a sacrifice to cover sins that are intentional. Jesus covers it. I'm not going to try to scare somebody into think, allowing the devil to say, oh, you're not saved. Not true. You're still saved. But God's saying, are you literally going to spit in my face? Then am I God? No, you're God. You became God in your own life. And that's why it's hard. The old Christians in Acts literally praised him for being beaten. Praised him for being scoffed and yelled at and made fun of. Because we were counted righteous and able to suffer for him. As, as him. How many of us are like, thank you, Jesus, for allowing us to suffer? No. We're like, man, how do I get out of this? How do I lessen this? Well, why are you doing this to yeah. That's the big one. Okay. Like, what I've been good for so long. Why, why are you doing this to me, Lord? And then, why are you putting me through this trial? And then all of a sudden he goes, you weren't. Yeah. I'm trying to show you how to get better. You said, show me who you are. Lord, lead me closer to you. And he's like, all right, do what I actually say. And you will draw close. I cannot be in the presence of sin. And when you decide to sin, I have to take a step back. And you're continuing to sin. You think they're little, but all sin are equal to me because I'm completely righteous. So that thought, that look, that I don't know, women seem to be more gossipy than we are. Yeah. We're just sort of like, dude, you did this. And they're like, man, well, so-and-so, so-and-so, I can't believe she wore that. That might be your guys' thing. I don't know. I have no idea how you guys think. It's like 18 connections fired at once. We got one. All right. Give us a task. Give us a task. We are very good at it, but do not give us two. Okay? Have you ever heard the comedian? I think he's a Christian-based comedian. Yeah. It's like, yeah. When women's brains are a ball of wire, yeah. everything is connected. Tim Hawkins. And guys are, are all boxes, and you can only get one box out at a time, yeah. and no boxes touch each other. <laughs> you can't have two boxes open at the same time. And once you're done with the box, then... Or something's getting lost. And you got... <laughs> And that's, I believe that's Tim Hawkins. Yeah, it's hilarious. So, but it's true, okay? And and this is where they were literally made to be our companions, right? I mean, that's what he said. We're to work together as a team. So they're not going to be the same. He literally said, I gave you a job. You're to do all of this. Essentially, you guys can think so much more at once because you're Gonna be doing all this other shit. We're good at that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm not, uh, yes. But that's also why I can't go to you and say, do my accountability. It's not gonna work. Because no matter how much you want, if somebody starts talking about details and thoughts, that might start something over. You, know, you guys talk about things in a completely different way. Than, and that's why you need to find an accountability person of the same sex. And they have to be brutally honest. Mm -hmm. And you have to be honest. Otherwise, you're going to make your own actions and be like, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So, chapter 2. It's not a walk in the park. 
It's more of chapter two. Well, we're going to get through Smyrna. Church of Smyrna. Jesus sees to it that in times of trial, we will make it. Making it through doesn't even mean surviving. God is aware and literally engineers the difficulties in our lives to draw us closer to him. So, when you say engineers, like predetermined or like at the times, as it happened, really? What three needs? Both. Have you taken note of my servant, Job? Job? Job. He is rightful. What's the first one of Job? Why? I made a covenant with my eyes that I shall not lust. And God says, he did it. So right there blows the lie out of the water of the fact that we can't. It's hard. Because from what I'm told, women are not exactly visual. They're more relationship, and then it cues up from there. That's not us. That is not us. We are 98% visual, and if we can stand it, good to go. Okay? That's... Huh? I hate to break the news, but that's the way it works. Okay? So... Stay there. So, it's kind of like Muslims. They wear the burqa, the hijab. What's the purpose of it? To keep a man from lusting. I've heard it said, one, one guy explained it to a woman that that is very nice, and I truly expect what you're trying to do to help, to help us guys. So, the problem is, is you do not understand this. I don't even have to see you. If you were to tell me there's a woman behind the dumpster, I will already make a vision, an image, an outline. All of it is in my head. So whether you wrap yourself in dark clothing, we're going to do the work for you. It does not matter. Now, it also says, do not wear provocative clothing because you're not going to help us. Okay? It's just, try to make it as easy on us as possible. No, I'm not saying to show up in coats. You know, just show up dressed normal. But you see people show up in church. You know? And don't be like, if, you're, if your husband's trying to honor you and, and be right, and you're at the beach, don't be like, look, there's hardly anything there. Because that's not going to help. Okay? going to look. Yep. <laughs> and then you're going to be mad. So you're just... probably look too long. Trouble. You're It's right. So just... You told us to look. So just... You know... It's a lifelong struggle for us, but you won't you won't understand. And we don't understand you. That's just the way it works. All right? Venus and Mars. I hear there's a bar. <laughs> Suffering isn't important to God. He doesn't care for shit. It's what we get out of. Suffering is how he turns us to him. Because we won't listen any other way. Read the Old Testament. It is literally a cycle of blessing. They go astray. I warn you. They go further astray. I start to punish you. They go further astray. He crushes them and they go, oh, remember me? Cycle again. That's us. God knows our tribulations, i.e. our slander. Tribulation means something heavy and smashing on your life. What does slander mean? Somebody saying bad things about you. You kind of got that going on. It's like a big stone on your chest so you can't breathe. Jesus says, 
that they were faithful during these situations. Trials put the word of God from our mind and drop it to our heart. We can say, walk by faith, man. But the minute something hits, are you going to walk by faith? <laughs> The minute the music stops, it's like, yeah. Revelation 2.9. Blasphemy. Okay, blasphemy is to be slandered, or will be slandered. He's saying that's, that's what's going to happen to him. Keep in mind, we may say that it's stupid, and why would a loving God do this or do that? But when we work out, we only get stronger by tearing our muscles, causing pain. Military will prepare people for battle only by destroying them mentally and then rebuilding. Coaches will set up failing situations to teach us so that we can learn and become confident. But spiritual things are hard. But salvation is all that matters. So when crushing things come to your life, He's trying to help. When he's talking of trials, it's walk the walk, not just talk the talk. No matter what you think you've gone through or how bad God has made it in your life, he made his own far worse. He went further than you'll ever have to go. He gave his only son, who was perfect, and essentially himself, for you, while you rejected him, hated him, and didn't do anything he's we don't come close. He says, do not fear. Do not be afraid. It's always followed up by, I'm going to do this. Well, in this one, it's, don't fear. You're going to die. Well, whoa. Yeah, that was easy to say. Thank you. Okay. Jesus says, I'm your shepherd, and I know and designed you for this. You're just fine. Yeah. Suffer means to experience the sensation, sensation of pain brought on by direct assault, unusual pain, it's crippling, torturing, even to the point of martyrdom. Now he also says you're going to suffer for 10 days. Absolutely no one can tell us what that 10 days means. And again, God, what's 10 days to God? We, we don't know if it's... 10 days for us is 24 hours times 10, but to God, 10 days could be a second. Could be... Well, how long when you're in pain does a day last? How long oh, when you're doing something fun does a day last? It might just mean it's going to seem like a It's just going to continue. Yeah. Okay. Be faithful to death, i.e. our true life is our next life in heaven. Church of Smyrna questions. Thoughts? This is where we want it. Yep. So does each city have its own kind of issues? As it's like this one, you know, real quick, they're, they're talking about how, you know, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, these, these people are not Jews. Right? These, these days, so these people are not Jews. They are the synagogue of Satan. So the Jews in Smyrna were actually persecuting their fellow Jews because they were Christian. And he's saying they're not true Jews. They are of the synagogue of Satan. They're being led aside. Right. Aside. So I was reading. I didn't understand it. Okay, so that's why they're being persecuted. Yeah. Because they're not Jews. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
two groups of Jews, but the one set of Jews were actually Christians, and then these ones were the ones they were not persecuting them because they're not. They got some trials and tribulations. Oh, and they, yeah, just like, oh, yeah, and the devil will throw the devil will throw some of you in prison just to test his sake. <laughs> and it's like, I don't think I want to go to the, the sage. So it doesn't sound any good. Hey. Hey. It's, it's still good. It's still good operator. <laughs> yeah. So what do we think? <laughs> I mean, today was definitely not a feel good lesson. I will give you that. What do we think? I, I, for some reason, that when you talked about, right. um, about being in heaven without Christ, that still stands out to me. Being in heaven without Christ and versus Christ. being in hell with Christ. Yeah, okay. You know, and it, it just, it, it's kind of, it's weird when you live. It's not weird, but I don't know if they told me it's, he's not pleading with him, but it almost seems like he's kind of pleading a little, but it's so direct that you're just like, you can tell that he cares about that he, well, he wouldn't write this for I would say he's pleading. He wants you in heaven. Right. And he will do anything up until the point of giving himself through torture, mutilation, and death. I'd say that counts as pleading. But so when I think of pleading sometimes, so I think of this like blubbering massive of potion. Like this guy is like, please, please. Yeah, oh, Lord, but he's, but he, but he doesn't plead like that. He pleads with He'll tell you what's going to happen. He's he's saying like, just open your ears and listen. Like this, like just like you said, get your stuff ready. Like lock it down. This is it's going to come about, and it's this. I'm not messing around with. And to even be able to just be like, oh, that's nice, and turn off my phone and go do my thing now. Right. That that's what's kind of. Or how about prayer at dinner? Hurry up, the food's getting cold. Or. You just prayed, literally to say thank you, so that you could now think about something else and go to sleep. Or you prayed to me out of a tradition, yeah. a expectation of religiosity. Not because, hey, I'd like to talk to my friend, or my savior, or my God. Kind of like when you were dating. You call and talk. I talked to her for eight hours one time. I don't talk. I haven't talked to her for eight hours in one day for the last probably fifteen years. Okay, I get yelled at for it. I, it is what it is. Uh, they want to talk. We don't. That's just. That's just where it is. Okay, so again, we got to meet somewhere in the middle. It's fun. It's a little like, yeah. like yeah. we can literally see. We have the nothing box. We have the nothing box. I will give you a an example. There are days where if you put us in a car with another man for eight hours, and they don't give us a call, we could actually talk for about forty five seconds and still both be just okay and not think the other's mad at each other. No, just. Yeah. I'm I'm doing my thing. I'm thinking about something. He's doing his thing. Thinking about something. That was awesome work with you, bro. Glad it was a nice, quiet one. Like, cool. But I make it 15 minutes down the road in my car, and my wife's like, are you mad at me? Right? Yeah. I'm obviously doing it. Okay. So keep in mind. Keep in mind. Why are you greedy? Like? <laughs> so, it has apparently been proven that women 
cannot think about nothing. I, I don't think about nothing. You see? Wait, I don't. I think it's been, it is, somebody did a study. I think it is nearly impossible for women to think about nothing. Like, is there a time where you can just go blank? You like that hair, huh? You can? Okay. Heroin. And have no. No. When, when, when conscious, this, this will actually shock you. We can do it for hours. Yes, so nice. And literally, we can look like the dolphin that is sleeping in the ocean. We're away. There's inside of you, like, what are you thinking about? And we're like, nothing. And you're like, well, think about something. And we're like, if you could read my mind, it would be. How many times? How many? Okay, listen. If I if I if I brought up if I brought up the internet code. That would be your thoughts to my brain. I, I cannot keep that much thought in my head. We can think about one thing, maybe two if it involves food. Like I, it tastes good, but I don't want to choke. We're good, okay, we're good. Much, much more than that, and you're not going to get much. Okay, yeah. The multi-tool glass. You know, like the no. yes, but we can only use one tool at a time, and then we switch. Yes. No. We have to. We have to. Again. <laughs> You're our helper. Read my mind and be my helper. Oh, Lord. Oh, I, I did not. I didn't set the structure up. Time for women to trust you. <laughs> All right, does anybody else have any questions, thoughts, comments, concerns? Bow your heads. Father, we thank you for this time and that your Holy Spirit has led us, convicted us, that we might seek your face, might draw closer to you, may take on a commitment, a responsibility, and a goal of holiness, that we would not fall short. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for teaching us and guiding us, knowing that we are truly epic films. Father, we ask these things in Jesus Christ's name we pray, and we ask that you would help us to stand with one another as we go forward and lead us all in faith. Amen. Amen. Amen.